Good morning, church. As always, it's a real honor to share with you today. Wasn't worship good? Isn't it good to praise the Lord in the house of the Lord together? Well, as you know, we've been in a series in Ephesians, so we're going to continue that in Ephesians 5 today. Um, If you're taking notes, the title of our message is The Walk of a Saint. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear your voice and to obey you. Amen. Well, um, so we're going to be reading Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. But before we dig into that, I'd like to give a little overview from my perspective on the book of Ephesians, because I think it's really important, especially for this passage. So uh, as most of you know, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome. Ephesus was a thriving Roman metropolis, busy with business and travel. It was also full of sexual immorality and worship of many different kinds of gods. So Paul is writing to believers who are living in this context. You might think of maybe a New York City or a San Francisco in America today. Um, In the first three chapters, he talks about our relationship with God and our position in Christ. And we might summarize that with the word sit. If I had a chair, I would demonstrate. When I sit, I rest the whole weight of my body on something outside of myself, right? When I sit, I rest. I stop striving, I stop working. And in the first three chapters, like Pastor Scott and uh, others have talked about recently, we are not working, but we're resting in God and in what he's done for us. Does that make sense? Our salvation is a gift to us, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our forgiveness is free, our salvation is a gift from the Lord. And it's really important that we get that straight because we're going to talk today about the high calling and of how he's called us to walk. And we need to know that we're secure in our relationship with the Lord, that he doesn't condemn us when we stumble, but that he always loves us as a child. Does that make sense? So um, in the first three chapters, he talks about sitting with God, resting in our relationship with him. In the... Uh, Chapters four and five, he talks about our walk of holiness and love, our relationship with the world around us, and we're gonna dig into that today. And then in chapter six, he talks about our relationship with the devil, which you could summarize with the word stand. He says, stand firm with the armor of God. Resist the devil and and we'll overcome. Uh, Jesus has already overcome the devil in his death and resurrection, so we don't need to frantically fight when he comes against us. We just need to stand firm in our relationship with the Lord and in the walk that we've learned. So we sit, we walk, and we stand. Bill Johnson, one of my favorite pastors, talks about these three attitudes in this quote that I wanna share. He says, royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. So before God, I'm an intimate, before people, I'm a servant, and before the powers of hell, I'm a ruler with no tolerance for their influence. Amen? Let's be intimate with God. Let's take every advantage of the open door to relationship that God has given us. We'll find our strength there. We'll find our joy there. We'll find our purpose there, and we'll find the strength to live a holy life, a life of service in this world, and a life of strongly resisting the kingdom of darkness. 
All right. So once we have sat, we'll learn to walk. Let's read Ephesians 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20 straight through in the New Living Translation. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a passage. Well, let's dig into it a little bit, verse by verse. In verse 1, Paul starts with, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. I lead a life group on Wednesday nights, and in the last month, we've had the joy of two couples in our life group giving birth to children. And Brian and Amy Pizan have a little girl, Ireland, and Ryan and Mickey Carlson have a little boy, Hayden, and I want to show a picture of them. <clears throat> Isn't that good? Children are such a blessing from the Lord. You can see in their faces how much they love their little boy, and it also shows when they talk about how they stay up half the night taking care of him. <laughs> they don't say it with frustration. They just talk overflowing with love about the sacrifices that they make to care for their child. And that is how God loves us. He's not frustrated with our immaturity. He's not angry with our stumblings, but he's patient with us because he loves us dearly. Amen? <clears throat> when I was growing up, one of my best friends had a, a little sister named Clara. No, Clara's dad was one of the most I don't know, he seemed like one of the most holy people I knew as a kid. I never heard him say anything amiss. Nothing rude, nothing angry, nothing foul. I never heard him curse or cuss. But one day, when Claire was about two, she was discovered sitting on top of the washing machine with a screwdriver, saying, dang, 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 dang. And we all wondered where a two-year-old learned that. 
And it, we laughed about that for years because her dad was somebody that I couldn't even imagine getting frustrated or even saying, dang. But clearly, his daughter had learned it somewhere. <clears throat> Children have this innate desire, this innate instinct to imitate their parents. And I'm sure Ryan and Mickey will get to experience that in a few years here. Uh, Paul is saying, be like that. Imitate God with that simplicity of a child. I don't think Clara, when she was two, had any clue what her dad was trying to do with the screwdriver or why he was saying, dang. But she was eager to imitate her dad. So let's be like that. Verse two, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Christ's love for us was costly. He gave himself as a sacrifice for us. So we ought to be willing to love people in a costly way. Do we love people only when it's easy? Or do we love people when it costs us something too? His love for us was undeserved. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we ought to love people who don't deserve it too. Do we love people who love us back only? Or do we love people who don't treat us well? Jesus' love for us was personal. It wasn't love from far off. He didn't just sit in heaven and say, I love you. He came to us personally to show us what love looks like. And God has called us to that same kind of personal love. Not a love that holds people at arm's length and says nice things, but a love that welcomes people into our lives and to our homes. Let's love like Jesus. Verse three, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Some translations say such sins have no place among saints. First of all, I wanna say, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. A saint is a holy person, someone who's set apart for God, set aside for a holy purpose. And uh, we are made saints when we are put in Christ. We're not a saint just if we live perfectly. A saint is who we are in Christ. And so we ought to live like it, Paul is saying. We ought to live out the identity that we've been given. I think of uh, that special suit that I wear only for the best occasions, like to a wedding. I wouldn't wear it when I'm changing the oil on my car or when I'm digging in my garden. And in the same way, we have been set apart for a special purpose, and we ought to keep our lives clean of sexual immorality and impurity and greed. <clears throat> I could just skip over a verse like that, but I think it's worth talking a little about what those things are. What is sexual immorality? Well, I, biblical scholars will, will tell you that the Bible is clear, that sexual immorality is immorality of a sexual kind. And that, that, that's obvious, right? Teaching is easy if we just go that route. <laughs> but that it includes um, intercourse outside of a loving marriage between a man and a woman. And it includes any kind of sexual activity that's totally selfish in nature. I don't know about you, but that's a high standard. Impurity is a Greek word that can include all kinds of things. Uh, it means just what it sounds like, impurity. And I'll let the Holy Spirit convict your hearts on what's pure 
and what's not. Greek for greed in this verse can be translated coveting. Normally, I'm pretty thankful and content with what I have, but I'll admit sometimes recently, when I drive into work, I look at my coworker's new Toyota Tacoma, and I kind of wish I was the one driving that into work. <laughs> Does anybody feel me on that? <clears throat> That's what the Bible calls coveting, wishing something was mine that rightfully belongs to someone else. Such things are not fitting for us. Verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. I thought about telling an obscene story and a coarse joke as an illustration, <laughs> but I decided against it. <laughs> I'll trust you to, to know when you're crossing that line. For me, I would just imagine Jesus in my circle of friends and ask myself if he would be pleased by the story or by the joke. Instead of those things, let there be thankfulness to God, Paul says. I find thankfulness to be one of the best antidotes for greed, for coveting, for impurity, for sin of all kinds. Thankfulness turns our hearts towards the Lord. It fills us with joy. It turns our eyes onto the blessings that he's given us. Okay, verse five. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. This is a hard teaching. And I believe what Paul is saying here is uh, that those who give in to a habit or a lifestyle of immorality or impurity or greed will not inherit God's kingdom. <clears throat> because a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. It's one thing for me to struggle with a greedy thought one day at work. It's another thing for me to give into a lifestyle or a habit of it. We cannot have our sin and have the kingdom of God, too. <clears throat> a wise person once put it this way. I can't keep a bird from pooping on my head, but I can keep it from building a nest in my hair. <laughs> and in the same way, I may not be able to prevent a lustful thought from coming into my mind. But just like I'm going to go wash my hair out when a bird poops on my head, I'm going to go wash my mind out when lustful thoughts come in. I'm not going to let it build a home in my head. Amen? <clears throat> Verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Some people find it hard to understand how a loving God could be angry with sin. I did too, and sometimes I still do. But this is how I think about it. I had a classmate in college who had a sister um, who was raped, actually, and my classmate was furious. She was angry. She was livid in a righteous kind of way because of the harm that had been done to her sister. God hates sin because it harms people. God hates sin because it hurts you, hurts your family, hurts the people in your life. 
He won't let that harm go on and on and on. His anger will come, and he'll purify. I don't know about you, but I don't want to taste his anger. So let's live without these kinds of sins. Verse 7. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. This light within you produces only what is good and right and true. I want to point out that he says don't participate in the things these people do. He doesn't say don't spend time with people who live lives of sin. It's a really important distinction. Some of us think we have to totally isolate ourselves from the world to follow the Lord, but Jesus is a better example. Jesus had dinner with people who lived lives of sin all the time, but he didn't participate in what they were doing. In the same way, we are called to live in the world and just be not of the world, to pour love into the lives of people who live lives of sin, but not participate in their way. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. For me, I try to carefully determine what pleases the Lord through Scripture, first of all. He's revealed His will to us in Scripture, so I search it to find out what He wants. And also by looking at the fruit of my choices. Um, Sin always bears bad fruit. Righteousness bears good fruit. It's a good thing when evil deeds are exposed for what they are, rather than excused. But we shouldn't talk about evil things more than we have to. Verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here, some translations actually say that when something comes into the light, it becomes light. And I don't know about you, but I've actually experienced this in areas of my own life where I was doing something that I knew I shouldn't be doing, So I kept it in secret. I kept it in the dark. When I brought it out into the light, it seemed to lose its power over me. And if we will live our lives in the light, if we will live our lives without secrets, without lies, without shame, we will find those dark places of our lives transformed into God's light. We will become the light of the world that we are called to be. The message translation says here, It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. It is a waste of our lives to continue to tolerate things that are shameful, that isolate us from people. So the message says, Awake, O sleeper, climb out of your coffin, and Christ will shine on you. Psalms 34, 5 says this, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. If we come out of the dark and we bring our sin honestly to God and honestly to safe people in the church, we will find actually that we are not condemned for it, but loved and welcomed and forgiven and set free. I just want you to know that I'm speaking as somebody who's walked through that. I was once addicted to pornography and sexual impurity, It really had a a hold on me, and I hated it, but I sure didn't want to tell anybody about it. 
There were a few times early on when I confessed the sin to a pastor or a friend. I kind of popped into the light and then went back into the dark. <laughs> and that helped a little. But we are called to walk in the light. And it was some years ago when I really uh, began to be honest all the time about what was going on in my life that I found freedom that lasted. In Matthew 3, Jesus, uh, or the John 3, says that he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You don't have to worry that God's going to condemn you. And if you're sharing with solid Christians, you don't have to worry that they'll condemn you either. They will welcome you. They will love you. They will help you. I can testify that the pastors of this church are some of those people who will love you and welcome you and support you as you walk into freedom. I just really feel like the Lord wants to say to some people this morning, don't tolerate those things in your life. Don't let them stay. Do whatever it takes to walk in the light, to walk free, to walk whole. I had a pastor one time who wrestled with pornography when he was young, and he told a story about how one day he got so angry with this sin in his life that he threw his laptop out a second-story window. <laughs> People with that kind of tenacity don't stay in prison very long. <clears throat> Verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity. I've been to Brazil several times, and whenever I go to Brazil, I go for about two weeks, which is not a long time. It costs a lot of money to get there. It's a lot of effort to get there. Uh, last summer when I was there, um, I knew I was only there for two weeks out of a whole year. So I wanted to make the most of every second, of every minute. I was looking for every opportunity to learn a new word in Portuguese, to meet someone new, to pray for someone, to share the gospel, to mop a boat floor, or whatever it was, however I could help, however I could learn, whatever new experience I could have. <clears throat> In the same way, we're only on this earth for a few short years out of eternity. Let's make the most of every opportunity. <clears throat> Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be drunk with wine. Some versions say, don't get drunk because that will lead to debauchery. This is a Greek word, asotia, which basically means a life that is falling apart, a life that's without restraint or structure, a life without purpose and focus and strength. And I think that's what drinking too much wine can lead to. A lot of us know people who've walked that road. Um, I have a coworker with a brother whose life and marriage and job is falling apart because of drinking too much. And there are other things that lead to that road too. A lot of kinds of substance abuse and addiction lead to a life without focus and purpose and strength. But, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. The Holy Spirit brings joy and wholeness and purpose 
strength, and focus to our lives. Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I also want to point out that you might say the first name of the Holy Spirit is holy. It's not actually his first name, but... (laughs) I think the secret to living a holy life is really to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, singing psalms and hymns, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and giving thanks. A life full of the Holy Spirit is a life that is full of praise and worship and thanksgiving. If we could have the worship team come up, we'll start to wrap this up. How can we live full of the Holy Spirit? How can we find the strength to live holy? For me, two ways that I try to live full of the Holy Spirit are to make sure that I'm totally surrendered to God. The Holy Spirit will fill a life that is open to Him. He will not barge His way into a house when the door is closed. But if we open the doors of our life to Him, He'll fill it. Am I full of the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. I think a good way to answer that question is, am I full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Am I full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control? We can live full of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus paid for with his blood. We can live free of sin, walking in holiness and in joy, in community with our brothers and sisters. And I also want to say, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, reach out to God in hunger and in faith. Sometimes I think we're thankful for God and we desire things of this world when we should be thankful for the things of this world and hungry for the things of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that you need will be given to you as well. So let's stand. As we sing this song, I just encourage you to consider if there's an area of your life that you want to surrender to God. Invite Him to fill you. Invite Him to set you free. Invite Him to have His way with you. Let's worship. Let's worship.